Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, and entrepreneurship. Whether this is your first time here or you're an avid listener, we're thrilled to have you as a part of our community. Our goal is to share stories of successful entrepreneurs and investors in the hopes that they assist you along your journey towards financial freedom. We discuss successes, failures, systems, motivations, experiences, tips and tricks, and key lessons learned over time. After each episode, you should feel motivated, empowered, and prepared to take action in your own life. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily content, personal finance tips, and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice Podcast. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here with another episode for you. Today we had on special guest, Ashley Hamilton. She is a real estate investor, entrepreneur, property manager, and real estate educator with over 30 doors of her own. And just has an incredible story of going from making $2 and change per hour as a waitress to now over $20,000 a month with her real estate portfolio. She's a complete inspiration. And just, we had an absolute blast with her today on the show. We talk about generational wealth and being built uh, you know, through real estate. Like Ashley literally changed the course of her family's life for generations to come. Doing, she, she had two kids and she used um, tax returns to purchase rental properties. Like we would tell you that's pretty bad financial advice, but if you're in the position that Ashley was in, it was amazing financial advice. So she, she used tax returns. She built up a portfolio in Detroit, by the way, of over 32 units and she scaled tremendously in the past couple of years. Look, if you have excuses and we're even talking to ourselves here, if you have excuses in your life, Ashley will rid you of them from this episode. You, you literally <laughs> will, cannot have any excuses after listening to this episode. She, like I said, she, and I said it 5,000 times throughout the episode. She's just an inspiration. She, we were awed. She's gritty. She just punches through any, any obstacle. And she taught us a lot. And we've been doing this for a little while now too. So I think this is an episode you do want your pen and paper for, and you're going to be probably going back and re-listening to a couple different segments because she really walks at length into a lot of different topics. Uh, I just had a blast. So I, I think we should bring her in. Yeah, let's do it. Are you a real estate investor looking to streamline your business? Maybe you're tired of all the paperwork and multiple lines of communication with your tenants. Well, we have a solution for you. We're now personally using RentReady to help manage all of our rental properties. This all-in-one property management software assists with rent collection, maintenance, tenant screening, credit reporting, communication, and much more. RentReady provides benefit to both the landlord and the tenant due to all of the easy-to-use features that can be managed online or via the mobile app. They recently just launched a new feature with their partner, REI Hub, called Rental Property Accounting. This allows us to track our income, expenses, and cash flow all in one place rather than managing multiple spreadsheets. We're huge proponents of systematizing our business, as you know, to get more time back in our day. And RentReady allows us to do just that. If you'd like to sign up, visit rentready.com. That is R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And make sure to use our code JUICEPOD for 50% off your RentReady subscription. Ashley, officially welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast. Corey and I are absolutely thrilled to have you on the show. We've been following your story for a little while now, and it's it's very inspiring. We've been inspired by you, so we want to inspire our audience and share your story with them. So welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor. I definitely have been following you guys as well, 
and see the growth that you've made in the year. So super excited to be here and definitely crush it and make this one of the best podcasts ever. Right. Uh, I knew, I knew. That's why you brought you here. She's one of the best. So um, Ashley, if you could just give a little brief background on who you are, where you're from and just how you got into real estate for those who, you know, haven't been privy to your story yet. Sure, absolutely. And I'll try to make it as short as possible. I do typically get long winded, but I know we'll get through the rest of the story throughout the uh, podcast. But yes, my name is Ashley Hamilton. I am from Detroit, Michigan, um, born and raised, been here this whole time and invest here. Um, And I'm a real estate investor, as well as a lot of other things, real estate involved. Um, So typically how I got started or just like where I was at when I bought my first property, for sure. Uh, I was 23 years old. I was a single mother of two. I was actually a teenage mom um, and I was a waitress working at Red Lobster. Uh, I was making like two dollars, 65 cents an hour, which was about, you know, about twenty thousand a year you know, is what I took home uh, under that for sure. Um, and, uh, my kids, uh, my daughter was premature. So she had to stay in the hospital for about 45, 50 days. Um, and every day I would leave her. I was like, you know what? I don't want to leave my kids off to daycare. You know, once she gets out of this, it's already hard enough that I had to leave her every day in the hospital. So I knew early on that I wanted to be financially free. I didn't want to, if I did work, I wanted to be part-time and kind of on my times where I can be there to raise my kids actively. Um, so that's where it started from. Um, fast forward to age 23. I went to like a rich dad, poor dad seminar, literally didn't know the language. Like I, when we talk about my first deal, like I didn't even know what closing costs was. So that's a funny story, but I literally didn't know anything. I just saw this calling and they were talking about making money and fr- financial freedom. Right. And that's what I wanted. So went there and I really didn't learn anything, honestly, not to talk bad about them. I just didn't know anything, but two quotes really stuck out for me. And it literally has changed my life since then. And I'll briefly tell it to you guys. Uh, so one was, um, spend a couple years of your life living how most people don't. So you can spend the rest of your life living how most people won't. So basically just live below your means and for a couple years, and then you'll be able to use those savings to actually have a lifestyle that most people can't. Um, and then the second one was be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful fearful. So out of the whole seminar, two or three hours, that's all I learned. I walked out of there. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And, um, literally I feel like just the law of the attraction. Um, maybe like two months later, I saw a for sale sign on a house. I called it up and I was, um, it was $6,300. So very, very cheap. And, um, I knew I didn't have the money, but I will get a tax return every year because I had two kids and I was low income. So I literally used the tax return, bought the first house and the rest is history. But that's how I got started. (laughs) I'm laughing because this is incredible. And and it's like, there are so many people that talk about, they don't have enough money or they don't have enough time or they can't get involved. And like, I think this is an episode already. I'm going to be able to point back to and be like, look, if Ashley could do this, As a single mom, using her tax returns to buy rental properties, like I don't know if we've ever talked to anybody who's done that. So this clearly set like set you off in this direction, right? So I guess maybe talk about your first property. Like you used your tax return, kind of. When did you realize that you were going to do this not just once or twice, like as something that was going to really bring you that freedom that you were looking for? Yeah, for sure. So honestly, I probably in the beginning, I thought I'll never do this again. Right. The plumber ran off without uh, finishing. The painter ripped me off. You know, things were falling apart. I didn't know where to start. Um, 
So it was definitely like, listen, you know, you don't know what to do, but you got to do something right. It's better than the alternative. Uh, you know, where I was heading, no education, no income, 20,000 a year. Like I never would have been able to afford a house the regular way. So it was like, you know, fight or, or flight or however they said. So uh, I paid 6,300. Well, the price was $6,300, 6,300. So I assumed that I was going to walk into the closing with like a briefcase full of $6,300 and everything would be good until two days before the closing, my agent called with the HUD statement showing that it was going to be um, like $1,500 in closing costs. And all I had was $6,300. Like I'm ready, you know? So uh, I had to definitely like do some double shifts and delay the closing for about seven more days, but I got the money for the closing costs. So um, once I did get the property, I end up, um, it took me about four or five months to fix it up because I literally had to work shifts and fix it up. But once it was done, right. And once I moved in, I knew that this is what, what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life because I didn't have a rent payment. I was paying $700 a month in rent at that time. Obviously, it was in 2009. Um, but, you know, that was a struggle for me. And to realize that I didn't have to make that payment anymore, uh, if I decided not to work or get laid off, I could still live because I owned this property, uh, really changed something in me, right? So I knew that um, while I didn't have any money to do the next deal, I knew that as soon as I got my tax return again, I was going to do the same thing. And then I formulated a plan to buy for 10 years straight, use my tax return uh, to buy 10 properties. That was just the goal. Wow. Um, so <laughs> what did your, first, what did this deal cash flow for each month? The $6,300 deal. Right. Absolutely. So just the fun fact, that was my first purchase that I lived in the first house uh, because I was a renter and I didn't have any money or anything like that. So um, it didn't cash flow anything, but it saved me $700 a month in rent, which I was able to save about $500 of that a month to get towards my next deal with the second uh, property and my tax return. But fun fact, I still own that property today. And even though I paid $6,300 for it, I make $9,900 a year on it because I charge $775 in rent. So it's definitely making more than I paid for it per year. Couple things overall. First, I just want to kind of smack people in the face that are driving <laughs> here and realize if you're telling me you can't invest in real estate, there's something wrong with you because Ashley, there you made two dollars in change <laughs> per month having two kids, and you use your tax return to buy these rental properties. I, I think just reiterating that is it's such a powerful thing. And you you were you had to go work double shifts just to get the closing costs. There's people that like, it's just, it's so inspiring. There's, there's where there's a will, there's a way, right? The fight or flight, you took fight. I'm not going anywhere. I'm holding it down and we're going to be successful. And you, you know, your kids have an incredible mom. Like that, that's besides the point here, but I can't believe all the trials and tribulations you've came through just to start your portfolio. And the coolest part is you didn't stop there, right? You said, Hey, listen, I've done this once. I'm going to make a system of this. And each year I get my tax return. I'm going to keep dumping this into property after property. Can you talk us through the next couple of steps and maybe next couple of deals that you made it through? And then like kind of paint the picture of where your portfolio is at now. Sure. Absolutely. Thanks. So basically, uh, so that's what I did. I decided to do one a year whenever I got the money until I got 10 doors. I assumed I was going to be retired and a millionaire and life would be good, but I didn't stop there. Um, so the next deal, like I said, it was coupled with the tax return as well as the savings. So most people, when they get their first house, they're used to paying rent. They'll say, hey, this $700, I'll just 
you know, spend it on something, right? More clothes, more furniture. But I decided I'm not going to change my lifestyle. I'm not going to spend that 700. I'll save 500 a month so I can get the next deal. So that's how I did every property I got the cash flow. I didn't, you know, pay myself. I kept working the whole time and I used the cash flow for the next deal. So think of it as, um, working a job right for two years and not paying yourself anything that's pretty much what it was because every like off the second property all the monthly rent the cash flow i was probably cash on about four hundred dollars a month that was going savings to the next property and obviously when i look at my deeds they're all in february march or april because that's when the tax return was so i'm yeah. like literally so that's how i i what where i went started i'm sorry and um it, it ended up, I was getting more and more cash flow the more doors I had. So I was able to buy two in one year at one point. So fast forward 2009 to 2019, I had acquired 10 rental properties. Um, I was financially free. I had literally retired at 27 years old because I owned my home free and clear. And I was making about five grand a month in cash flow off the properties. I think that was at like number seven uh, at that point when I hit 27 and decided to retire. So I stopped working as a waitress. Um, and then, so fast forward, I did decide to go back to work, but anyway, long story short, 10 properties free and clear, might, might I add no mortgage, right? So these were literally free and clear. I owned them, no debt, no refinance. Um, so that was 2009 to 2019. And that is when I got featured on one of a big real estate podcast and life changed for me. Right. So many people were telling me how expiring I was. And I was like, you know what? I don't need to stop. So it relit a fire under me. And from August, 2019 to August, 2020, I doubled my portfolio. So it's, I bought 11 properties in just one year. So what had took me 10 years to do, I was able to do it in just one year. And just to be completely honest and transparent, the difference was leverage, right? So beginning, you using your own money to fund these deals, which a lot of people identify with me, but I didn't set out for it to be that way. Like I had to do it that way. I didn't have a good credit. I didn't have income. So when people look at me like, oh, I want to go free and clear like you, I was like, well, I just didn't know like how you can use other people's money. So it's not always the best thing, but uh, you can do it and provide financial freedom really quickly. Like I was able to retire at 27, but if you want to scale and grow and actually change your lifestyle, you definitely want to use leverage and refinance so that you can get more. And I'm a real life living proof of that because like I said, literally 10 years to get 10 doors, one year to get 11 doors. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, it's awesome. I think probably something that we want to touch on, and I know this is not necessarily possible in 2021, but buying properties for $6,000. When I hear the number, I'm like, I, my, you know, I can't get a car for six, you, you know, you can't get a car for yeah. six grand now, right? Especially in today's market. So I realized that those properties, first of all, what are those properties worth today? And then also like you, were you literally just calling around or looking at for sale signs? Like what was your strategy in 2009? And then we can fast forward to like, I'm sure how your strategy is much different today, but what was your strategy back then? Once you realized like, Oh, I can make this cash flow for my life and then continue the snowball. Absolutely. So, uh, and just to uh, add some context to that, like it's, it's, so you can't really find a property in that good of condition for 6,300, but there are properties here in Detroit and Cleveland for cheap like that. You still have to do the work. And then also um, you can uh, get a $300,000 house 
for $15,000 using the FHA, right? Just a down payment. So, you know, even if you were able to come up with the 6,300, you may not be able to use it for cash to buy a house, but you can use that for a down payment. So you can still today get into a house for 6,300. You would just have a mortgage. So that's number one. But honestly, back then I didn't know, I, I still didn't know. So all of my properties were MLS. There wasn't like off market deals, secret auctions, courthouse auctions. I did find out about that in 2012, you know, but for the most part in the beginning, um, it was just all MLS. And honestly, just like you said, right now, I still use MLS to buy deals. So within that one year, I bought 11 properties. I also helped out-of-state investors buy in Detroit as well. So I ended up purchasing 20 houses that one year for me and my investors, and only two were wholesale deals. Everything else was MLS. Uh, I'm just very fast and very aggressive when I do see something I like. So even though there may be multiple offer situations, if you're fast and serious, get straight to the source. Here's my proof of funds. I can close cash. Then you do typically get more offers accepted in a competitive market, but I'm literally getting them off MLS, off Zillow, public information. Yep. <laughs> awesome. So you mentioned leverage too, and I don't want to run away mm -hmm. from this because I think there's a lot of creative ways where people can get into deals that they may not have known about. We, have recently talked about HELOCs and that might be a venture we take because we we're sick of saving up 50, 60 grand, boom, <laughs> your bank account, start it back up. And you know, the cycle continues. Can you talk to leverage and how you've creatively financed some deals just to give people maybe an idea where they can move forward? Yeah, absolutely. So there's typically a couple of boxes that financing coming through, uh, come to, I know there's probably hundreds of variations, but there's really a box, right? I try to simplify things because I still identify with myself when I didn't know the language, right? So you have the, the bank or traditional financing credit unions. Uh, you can go the hard money route, which is basically like corporations that lend you money with less qualifications. Uh, you can go the private money route. And a lot of people get that mixed up because a lot of hard money lenders call themselves private money. But private money is really like an investor or a, like a family member, like your grandmother, maybe that has a lot of money in the CD or savings that's making like 1% where they'll lend to you based upon you personally. And you can say, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'll give you 10% of your money instead of the 1% you're earning in the bank. And, you know, they're your private lender, right? So it's somebody that you know, that's literally going to give you money. Um, and then you have, um, I guess the hard money, then you have credit cards, right? You can, I've used credit cards to purchase properties and, um, also the bird method, the refinance, the HELOC. And then I kind of point or trademark my strategy, which I call it the reverse flip strategy. And I really love it. Uh, I'm going to talk about that for my deal that you guys want to, you know, we we're going to talk about a deal lately, but it's the reverse flip strategy. And again, you guys, if you hear, um, to hear gurus, they'll coin a phrase like the bird, for example, bird. And obviously it's something that people have been doing for years, but when you put a name to it, it rings the bell, it's more familiar, and it's a process. So that's all my reverse flip strategy is, but it's a great way to use hard money lenders to do deals typically with none of your own cash or credit and be able to keep the property as a rental, but still reap the benefits of a flip. So I will break, when we talk about the deal, I'll break it down in real numbers and we can go back to that. Uh, but that's just some ways of creative financing. Um, me personally, a lot of my portfolio, I, I reinvest. So I, I still have seven streams of income on other businesses. So I don't have to take all the cash flow like to live off of so I can reinvest that as well. 
So that's how I've been able to like catapult. And uh, cause I, I got 32 doors right now. So the end of 2019, I had 10 doors. So I bought 22 more doors in just uh, under 24 uh, months. And that's been a, a snowball of those things. So cash out refi, like the bird, using my credit cards, using hard money, and then using some of the cash flow to reinvest in the business. Really cool. I, I want to <laughs> just touch on this because I don't believe we've had anyone talk about it. How the heck are you using credit cards to buy real estate? Like yeah, at what so point in the I, process do you do these, these come into play? So ideally you would use them for renovations because they're, you, you can just swipe them at Home Depot and stuff like that. But um, if you got, if you own a credit card or you have a credit card, they'll literally send you these offers. They're like balance transfers at 0% interest for a year. So one day I, I got the offer and I called and I was like, well, I don't have a balance to transfer. It was like 12, it was $14,000. Uh, and it was like, well, you can transfer a balance. I was like, well, I don't have a credit card with 14,000. And it was like, well, we do direct deposit as well. So you can do a balance transfer with direct deposit. We'll deposit the 14,000 into your account and you would just pay 0% for a year and pay us back the 14,000 after a year. So that's, I didn't know about it either, but that's what happened. It was discovered. Everybody probably has Discover in their wallet and it blew my mind. I literally did it. I wanted to see if it worked. I took the 14,000, I bought a duplex and it worked. And then once it came time to refinance and that's how I was able to pay it off within a year. So essentially got a $14,000 loan at 0% interest for a year. And you can't do that anywhere. And now I've had over $500,000 in credit. So imagine how much 0% interest money I'm getting right now. But yeah. that was just my first, you know, the 14,000 was at first, which helped me out a lot. But now I have access to over 500,000 that I can use to purchase properties with. <laughs> Ashley is the, <laughs> like, you're the ultimate testament to momentum. I think that's like the kind of way I want to frame it, where it's like, once you start pushing the snowball down the hill, like it's, it truly is unlimited. And you came from a position of, I mean, you can call it what it is. Like you were in poverty, right? Like you For came sure. from the, you came from this position where you had a family to take care of. And it's tough. I, I don't know this personally, neither Ryan, neither Ryan nor I do know what it's like to come from that. And, and we talk about that all the time, but to see somebody do it, it's just like, wow, there's no excuses for what we, for what we do in our life at all. Like uh, I, right. it makes me want to work harder. Right. So right. <laughs> it, it really does. So I, that is incredible. So this momentum, I guess we can talk about that now and we can talk about your, your specific deal. I know that there's one that you wanted to bring up or whether it's the deal that took you to the next level or a deal that is relatable that you could share with people, because we're talking about a bunch of different things, but maybe you can kind of break it out and be as descriptive as you'd like with it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so I'll talk about the deal. Like I said, it, um, because honestly, right now it's just crazy. They're all like really, really good deals. So uh, it is more recent one. And it's just to couple back with the reverse flip strategy, because I feel like a lot of people can do it and make a lot of profits. So this is the deal. Like I've used a reverse flip strategy for two years now, but now this is like the deal with the best, like, oh my God, it was life changing. So it was a wholesale deal for sure. So this was a wholesale deal. It was off market and uh, I got the deal for, oh uh, wow, $50,000. Sorry, I completely forgot. So $50,000. But at the time I had bought a house the day before. So I didn't have $50,000. So pulled out a credit card, <laughs> had the money directly wired from the credit card to the title company. That's how I funded the deal on a business credit card. I did not have the money. Uh, so again, with business credit, I didn't want to go into that too much, but the reason why it's better to use a business credit card, because that $50,000 in debt 
won't affect my personal credit. Whereas if I would have used a personal credit card with 50,000, my credit score would have instantly dropped. Uh, all the banks would have been looking at me like, oh my God, you have 50,000 in debt. Whereas my business can have 50,000 in debt and it really won't affect me personally as long as I'm keeping up the payments. So that's how I was able to fund the deal quickly. I had seven days to close a $50,000 deal and didn't have the money. So it, you can imagine my frustration and my uh, grit at that time, but I knew it was a great deal. So got the deal done, closed it for 50 on a credit card, none of my own cash or credit, no effect to my credit, right? So the renovation budget came back in at uh, 45,000 but I always go a little extra. So I'm going to be all in at about 56,000. So let's call my total investment $110,000 um, to purchase and rehab. The property appraised at 265. Wow. Uh, yeah, as is. So mind you, I paid 50 and the current condition as it was, it was already worth 100,000. So that was mind blowing that because I thought it would probably like worth 150, 175 after finish. But the 265 appraisal literally knocked me out of my seat. I was sitting here and I like had to stop what I was doing when I saw it. So 265. So this is where the reverse flip strategy comes into place. So the first thing is you you purchase and rehab the property. So I end up purchasing it because I had seven days on a credit card. But normally a hard money lender would have done that for me but they take about 21 days. So I had the property and I went to hard money to do the rehab. So a hard money lender will give you 65% of the ARV to do your rehab up to that price. So that, if you guys remember, the ARV was 265. So they gave me 65% to renovate the property, which would have been 172,000 but I didn't need that much. I just needed about 50. So I took the 50, I pocketed like 17,000 at the closing just to put back in my pocket, which was amazing. So now the whole loan amount is $112,000. That's the renovation, the hard money lender, everything. That's the loan amount. Once the property is fixed up, then you want to go back to a hard money lender or a private lender for the cash out refi or the HELOC, right? But now since it's operable, they're going to give you 80% of the ARV. So when you go back to the 265 and multiply that by 80%, that's $212,000, right? So mind you, my loan amount is 112,000. So at the refinance of 212,000, I'm gonna pay back the 112 that I owe that and I'm gonna pocket $100,000, right? But that's not a sale, I'm refinancing. So not only did I pocket 100,000 at the refi, I still get to participate in that monthly cash flow because it's gonna rent out for about $2,200 a month, right? And my mortgage Amazing. is about $1,100 a month. So I literally bought this deal with a credit card, used a hard money lender to fix it up, pay back my credit card and my hard money lender with a refinance, pocketed $100,000 and still cash flowing $400 a month on its property. Like that is the reverse flip strategy. I know some people are new, so it might've went over their head a little bit, but go back and rewind guys. If you have to, that's why we do these things. So you have it to, to teach you guys, but go back and rewind it. That's, that's the power of reverse flip. And um, that's why I trademark it. And that's what I'm trying to teach people right now as we speak. <laughs> that's incredible. I mean, the breakdown was awesome. Yeah. Thank you for the breakdown. I just love all your creative styles with everything that you're doing, especially lending, right? Because people get into the slump all the time and they're just like, oh, that I found a great deal or that would be, that potentially could be a great deal, but I don't have the money. So, and they just go back, sit in their couch, you know, the cycle goes over 10 years later, they still haven't invested in a property. So yes. 
there's other people that have invested, right? And then they get lazy and they say, oh, you know, like I'm good. Like I got, I have 10 doors, whatever. It's bringing in X amount. I'm, I'm good. And they, they like give up on their craft. And we've also heard that some people have difficulty at certain amount of doors with loans. So I'm wondering if you can yes. speak to that. So is this a myth? Is it true? False? Like once you get to 10, 12 doors, I don't even know the number, but like when I hear double digits, we've heard, Hey, it's difficult to get a, a personal loan. Is that true? And then which route do you advise someone to take? Yes. This is why I'm one of a great coach, right? Cause I teach that is my, that's what happened to me. Uh, and I literally crushed it with a brick, uh, a sledgehammer, like bust that wall down, never again, <laughs> right? I don't like limits. So it's the debt to income. Your debt to income ratio becomes too high, which makes you undesirable to be to get loans. So it's true. So uh, ideally, uh, you can, you're capped out at 10 FHA loans. So most people think like, I can buy up to 10 properties, then I'll get creative. But what happens is your debt to income tends to increase so quickly that after four or five doors, you hit that brick wall. And that is why the power of hard money lenders and business funding works. So remember I told you I put it on the business credit card so that it won't affect my credit. So that's not a debt to income hit. But when you finance using hard money, you are literally, um, it doesn't report on your credit. So that $212,000 mortgage would never show on my personal credit because it's through a hard money lender and through a business lender. And you can have unlimited businesses and you can also have unlimited loans. So let's say this business, I get 10 mortgages on this business and they're like, well, your revenue is slowing down. You're capped out. Okay, no problem. Let me start another business, Ashley LLC two, start buying houses and do it that way. So literally to break the wall off of that debt to income crunch or that 10 property caps, start using business funding, start put transferring uh, assets and debt to your businesses. You know, you can buy a property and hold the, uh, I'm sorry, a car and hold that debt on your business side. You can hold mortgages on your business side. So that's where, where I'm at with it now. Uh, I, I still use, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you're good. Sorry not to cut you off, but I, my, my wheels are turning here. Mine so, is right, yeah. It's great. I love this. So are you buying, first question is just keep it simple. Are you buying these properties under your personal name and then transferring to them to an LLC? Or are you buying them straight through the LLC and they're just like, they're already are part of your business because we've been given advice to go left, right, up, down. Yeah, so it's no straight answer. So typically it depends on the financing. So if you know for, so a clear example, if I have a sixty-five, $75,000 property, that's a low debt. So I'm gonna hold the mortgage with the bank, right? Because the banks and credit unions give you the best interest. So that one I purchased in my personal name. Once I re, and then obviously I'm not a CPA guys, people are gonna kill, uh, you know, don't like that, but, I purchased in my personal name. I maxed out my insurances. And as soon as I refinance, which is in typically six months, then I go ahead and put it in my LLC. So I'm protected. But any bank or credit union, traditionally, if you go to them with the property in your business name, you're not going to be able to get financing. You're going to have to put it back into your personal name first. So if I already know I'm going to fund it through the banks, then I will put it in my personal name temporarily, right? But if I know I'm going hard money route, then I'm instantly putting in the business name because they're, they're not going to fund it if it's not in a business name. Yeah. yeah. And it's literally, if you make a mistake, guys, it's so easy to do a quick claim deed. So let's say I purchased a property in my business name and decided to go to traditional financing. Then you just do a one page quick claim deed to yourself, maybe hire attorney if you have to for 150 bucks and do it. So if you make a mistake and 
you know, it's not a bad thing. And the reason I want to say that, because I know a lot of your listeners are new to this and we always like, we'll spend 10 months trying to figure out the perfect way to buy a house, right? Like, oh, should I put it in my LLC? Well, wait, I got to start the LLC. Well, what do I name it? Oh my God, what if I want this? Just do it, guys. Like I said, if you do it in your personal name and you realize that you're going to go the business route, then we can just deed it into the business. Don't I don't want you guys to get caught up on that analysis paralysis. And like you said, you've heard thousands of different ways you can do it. And all it's going to do is make you take longer to execute, right? So for sure, if you do buy it in the wrong entity name, you can change it really easily. So don't let that stop you. Don't let it, you know, rack your mind too much. You know, that's Isn't my advice. Isn't there Thank you for that. Do one sale clause. Yeah. So what can you Absolutely. explain that is? We're, we've been told just a quick background is like, hey, we've bought some of these 50-50 partnerships in our own in our own names, right? And then at some point we want to transfer them to an LLC, but we've been told, hey, be careful because they, they might hit you with a do on sale clause where you have to pay the remainder of the loan, like one big balloon payment right away. Now, absolutely. can you go, can, yeah, can you explain that? Yeah, for sure. So ideally, and I have lenders and I talk to them about this um, a lot. So ideally, as we know, especially now, interest rates are low. So let's say you have a $100,000 loan and you transfer it over to your LLC and they say, hey, we want our loan back. Okay, no problem. I'll just go to this bank. And because obviously you qualify for the loan, you got it through them. You'll go through this bank and refinance and you're probably going to get a better interest rate anyway, right? So banks typically don't want to do that. But what I do is I'm not being shady. So if there's any funky business in there, it can happen. But what I'll do is, hey, uh, banker, I am the sole member of this LLC. So it's just me and I'm the sole note owner. I'm just doing this for asset protection. There's no funky business. Now, if it's you and Jacob together and then this LLC is you and Kenneth or whoever, then they can say like, okay, that's where, you know, but as long as it's the same person, I'm not trying to sell it. I'm just literally doing this for asset protection. And literally, I've talked to a lender about this probably two weeks ago. They've been doing this for 30 years. They've never even seen it happen. But if they do call, do on sale clause, you can just sell it or refinance it with anybody else. You know, a hard money lender, like really quickly and the bank will lose. So they typically don't want to do it. But again, if it's a different entity and different owners, then that could cause a problem where they'll be more, you know, more um, strict on calling it due. Got it. And so let's just say you refinance it and you put it in the LLC. You get to that point, right? Where they do call you, call it due and yeah. you go to refinance it into a um, another bank. Are your rates going to be higher? Is that going to be a commercial loan at that point because it's through the LLC? Uh, so if you do hard money, your rates typically are higher anyway with hard money, but it can be commercial through a bank or it could be a hard money lender and your rates could be a little higher, but it just really all depends on the situation. But to me, like even with the reverse flip strategy, I'm paying a 2% higher rate um, than I am with the regular bank. But remember, I'm not capped at hard money. So I'll pay 2% more in interest and I can do 20 of those deals versus, you know, saving 2% and I'm only capped at 10 deals and my debt to income and all this debt is on my personal. So it's always a push pull, right? Do you want to pay a little more interest, but you have unlimited deals, less paperwork, less headache, none of this debt on your personal name? Or do you want to save and make the cheapest interest rate, but be capped and limited in your abilities, right? Got to it. scale. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, thank you for the breakdown because this is something <laughs> that is like, I don't want to use the word like not taboo, but like people, it's yeah. hard to get a straight answer from w- what happens in the situation and people are scared. So you broke it down perfectly. Um, and then I, I again, you will have equity in the deal too, right? Because like if you went to a bank, 
uh, they're going to make you, they'll give you 80%. So you already have 20% in the deal. And let's say you have the house for a year, you've been making your payments and then they use change it in a year and they want to do do on sale. You're still in a better position because you may only owe a hundred, but it's already going to be at least 20% more plus your payments. So you will be able to refinance and probably get a better rate. Great. Yeah. Great. Sorry. So <laughs> no, that's, thank you so much. So we're talking about like a little bit about, I want to go into scaling and then kind of your systems here too, because you mentioned that you have 34 doors now. I'm curious, is this comprised mostly of single family homes? Is that still the space that you're in? And then also like, just to give people an idea in Detroit, having 34 doors, like what does that cash flow you? What, what, um, what kind of revenue are you able to bring in based on that number of doors? Yeah, absolutely. So it's 32. Sorry, 32. I just, you know, I just want to be politically correct. Just, so there are single family. Um, and it's not, uh, it's just because I just find good deals, like honestly, that I can't refuse. So I didn't say like, I only want to do single family, but they're mostly single family. I have three duplexes now. Uh, so but they're only two units, right? So they're still under the four unit. Uh, I had planned on buying an apartment building, but I just keep buying these single families. Uh, so that's the portfolio, 32 um, doors. And honestly, um, the portfolio value is about $2.6 million, uh, probably 2.7 now. Um, and honestly, this is probably going to blow you guys' mind, but I don't, I only, um, I'm in the middle of trying to get a commercial loan. So I only have about 600000 in debt. So I literally almost got $2 million in equity in my portfolio. Awesome. And that's why my cash flow is so high right now. And honestly, uh, last time I checked, I for sure, I was over 25000 a month. So uh, just to go back to, when I got started, I was making 20000 a year as a waitress. And now I'm making 20000 or more a month just in my rental portfolio. Um, and a lot that's of that amazing, has grown in Ashley. the pandemic. Thank yeah, you. Like, I appreciate a, it's, it. It's amazing. And and the the cool thing about it is that you've created this. Not only do you have the cash flow, but you also have the security and like the quote unquote retirement money because you have a blend of properties that are paid off and then you also have properties that have leverage on them. So to me, as Ryan and I try to grow our portfolio, we're thinking like if you have this blend, five to eight, ten properties paid off, like what do you need a 401k for? That's your 401k right there. You don't I mean, need and you have the leverage ones on top of that where you can create maybe a little bit more cash flow. Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily more cash flow. Well, just, less cash flow. And yeah. you guys said, yeah, less cash flow. But I don't, at that point, I don't care because I just got a $100,000 check. My last reverse flip, I got a $40,000 check in the beginning. So let's say one of my rental single family units that's unleveraged, that might cash flow. Even at leverage, I'm still doing $800 or more. But let's say if it's unleveraged, I'm making uh, $950 a month in cash flow, $900 a month in cash flow. Um, but I, I, I don't have any, you know, I can't buy another property off that. But a leveraged property, I'll probably have $400 in cash flow, but I just got $40,000 up front to buy the next property. So using the leverage, obviously when you leverage, you're gonna lose the cash flow. but as long as you can get some kind of surplus, you can buy your next deal, then it's, it'll be fine. Um, and just with me personally, I feel like uh, if I was to build now, I would probably buy three leverage and then every fourth property try to do it free and clear somehow, some way, right? Even if you're doing a cash out refi and maybe you can buy three deals and pull out 10 on each and then use that, you know, fourth deal to do cash. Uh, free and clear that way you do get more cash. So you get the best of both worlds, right? When you're highly, when you're highly leveraged, your net worth is up there, but your cash flow is low. But if you have a blend of both, 
you could be like highly, I can still scale because I am leveraging some, but I still have really high cash flow because I keep some free and clear. He's ready to go. I can feel it. I've got a hundred <laughs> questions ready to read. I could talk to you for five hours. You're so knowledgeable. Let's do it. Awesome. Listen, I can't I stop some time. So I keep staring at your shirt and says, I'm a Detroit investor. I do want to talk about <laughs> Detroit for a little bit because I think a lot of people, at least in the real estate industry, right? There's a stigma around it. And I'm hoping you can remove this. Like Detroit is, the houses are, you can find them for six, 6,300 bucks, right? Or you could. I'm here. There's a lot of people that are afraid to invest there because they hear the uh, war zone, right? Like I don't want to have to deal with crazy tenants and like X, Y, Z story. Can you just maybe give us a little bit of background on your experience working or as a real estate investor in Detroit? And then also talk about, were you in the beginning when you were just starting out, were you a property manager, like managing your properties yourself, or did you hire out? So you don't have to worry about these calls because I think that'll also play into your story. and, And I know we didn't touch on that yet. Absolutely. So uh, going back to the quote, I said, be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. So when I heard TMZ talking about, oh, you can buy a house in a gift shop in Detroit, or I would buy a house for free there because it's a war zone. Something said, hey, this is people being fearful. I need to be greedy. I don't know what this means, but thank you, Warren Buffett, for the quote. I'm going to be greedy. Right. So and obviously I'm a single mom and a, a real estate agent. And, you know, I'm at the gas station. So obviously there's areas that you don't want to go in, but crime can happen anywhere. I know uh, one of my friends, they went to um, San Francisco, packed other stuff in, went to go get lunch. And while they're in lunch, somebody broke the car window out and stole all their luggage. Like in San Francisco, like, you know, Sunset Boulevard, somebody's like breaking in your car. So uh, just being, don't, what I would say is just with any advice, don't take advice from people who aren't actually doing it, right? So if I am investing in Detroit and say, don't invest in Detroit, guys, it is, you know, I'm doing it, I'm losing my shirt. That's more credible than a news article or an agent that doesn't own any properties in Detroit. But you can, everybody needs a place, but you do have to have a strategy, right? So my strategy looking in was, even though this is a low income market, even though we're going, it's war zones, I still want this to be the nicest house in the war zone, right? I didn't want to treat people like just because they low income, you know, because I knew that I needed retention. The, the way what kills cash flow is tenant turnovers. I'll give you guys that. So in an investment, uh, every, for example, really quick. So let's say on average, the average investor makes about $200 in cash flow per month, right? So that is $2,400 a year. If somebody moves out of your house and keeps it perfectly fine and all you have to do is paint and maybe replace a couple doors, that's going to be $2,400 or more, yep. especially with labor costs. So you just lost a whole year cash flow and one tenant turnover. So why not over-improve your house? Why not, you know, be nice to the tenant? Why not be mean when they call you and say the doorknob broke? Yeah, they did it, but it's $10, you know, do whatever you can to retain that tenant. I have tenants that's been in my, I paid $10,000 for a house in 2012. I have a tenant that's been in there paying me $800 a month for the last 10 years. And I only paid 10,000 for the house. So imagine because she wants, she, I, she, she, I, I don't bother her when she calls and asks for something, I fix it right away. Now, granted, I haven't fixed up the property in 10 years, but she's happy because I don't nickel and dime her and, you know, oh, you broke the toilet seat. It's on you. I'll just do it because that's more important to me. I don't want those turnovers. And honestly, I didn't know to, to, to your second question. I didn't know that there was a job for property managers, right? So literally when I bought my first rental property, I just instantly started managing on my own. I didn't know I was doing a job. So I was like, okay, it's ready to go. 
let me take some pictures and post some signs up, right? And, oh, I found a tenant, so let me find a lease and Google it. So I literally didn't know that I can hire somebody. So I forced myself into managing my own company, uh, my own properties. And then after I got like five doors, I started managing for other people. So to answer your question, I do have my own property management business. Um, that's another stream of income. And I manage my own plus about 30 for other individuals. That's uh, other investors. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I have a little bit of like a, a funny story that's very similar to yours too on one of the properties that I own. Um, I, um, I have a a duplex and the tenant was extremely needy and she was, she's lower income. Uh, she's doing her best. She's actually a single mom of two kids. Um, and she would call me for every little thing and be super annoyed. And what I realized was that she was just used to the tenant landlord relationship being really mm -hmm. shitty. She was used to like mm -hmm. being like, this person is my enemy. So then what I started to do is say, okay, I got to flip the script on this a little bit. So I just redid a bathroom for four grand. It didn't necessarily need to be done, but it's going to save me some headaches. So I read it about them, read it some floors, put in a new door. And every time she calls me, I'm now fixing it immediately. Immediately. Uh, so then she was still complaining a little bit. And then I said, Hey, like, if you want to move on, like, feel free, I'm happy to do that. And then she looked elsewhere and she's like, first of all, your rent's a little bit under market. I can't afford to move elsewhere. <laughs> and I realized that you're actually a really good landlord. So our relationship has done a completely a 180 because now she knows when she calls, she's going to get what she asked for. I asked her, I said, Hey, am I being a good landlord? She's like, you absolutely are. I, you know, and then that kind of fixed the relationship there. So going above and beyond like what you're doing is you can fix the stigma because I'll tell you what, in the media, the, the landlord tenant relationship is typically one that is a negative one. And it doesn't have to be a negative connotation with it, especially if you treat your tenants like they're your, not like human they're beings. your friends, but yeah. Exactly. But human beings, right. That it's not a business that these are people that's putting food on your table. Right. It's always how we look at it. I remember even working at Burger King when uh, somebody would pull up in the driveway, everybody's like, Oh, here come another customer. Want, don't these people cook? And I'm like, we need them to pay our bills. If they don't come, we don't, we won't be here. So I always value like in a business setting and, and being very generous, just generous and nice to people that come out. Right. Even if it's not my company. Uh, and that's what transitioned into the rental relationship. And you are a hundred percent, right. I'm so grateful that you learned that lesson early on because using that is going to literally set you apart from so many people. And you're not going to have those horror stories um, because that is true. And even when I like take over management, for other management companies. So I didn't place the tenant. They'll be super ignoring in the beginning. And I just say, Hey, listen, I apologize for what happened to be back, but in the past, but we're the good guys here and we want to fix it. I don't care if you're behind on your rent. If something is broke, call me because it's still my yeah. house. So she can tear it up and leave and I can have all this deferred maintenance. And then it's going to just cost me more down the line anyway. Ryan and I have a, uh, have a tenant that was I, when I tell you she was annoying, we we just, uh, our most recent property, we flipped a single, or um, did, a, I guess a burr, we haven't refinanced yet, but we did a rehab on a single family home. Um, and we put a tenant in there and she's paying a pretty penny to live there because the house is pretty nice now. But, but when she mm -hmm. first got in there, she was reaching out to us literally every three days. And like, she was bugging out about things that we were just like, what is going on? And then as soon as we sent one of our people over there, immediately had something fixed. They broke a window. We had it fixed. She was like, oh, these guys are like, actually kind of cool. Like, and I like them. So right. just having, it's a, just another antidote there for, um, you know, just, 
just being a good person and doing doing the right thing because it is your property at the end of the day and you want to keep it in the most in the best condition that you possibly can so. it's, it's setting guidelines up front too we, we changed our lines of communication no more texting it was like email first and if it's emergency call or text yeah but i have a i have just a, a personal question for you too because you're mentioning burger king you talked about red lobster and, and you when i think of you i think just grit like that's the one word that just comes to mind you're just gritty like you figure it out but i wanted to and i don't really know how to ask this question so bear with me while i try to figure out how to ask it but there has to i'm wondering if you feel like the difference you feel going from twenty thousand dollars a year to now having twenty thousand dollars a month i know you're the same person you've grown a lot over the years but did you have an aha moment at one point here where you're like, damn, like I made it. And like, I made a life for me and my kids. Like, it's just so incredible to see it from the outside. I'm wondering how you feel and was it worth it all the days and nights that you, I know you worked overtime to get to right. Where yeah, for sure. You know what? Honestly, I'm still the same person. And the crazy thing about it is it literally just hit me. Maybe one bigger pockets, right? when I did that, because I thought I was not doing anything. And I literally like, even now I'm still patting myself on the back, but I still have that mentality that I'm poor. I still don't live above my means. Right. I'm literally living in the house while I renovate it for Airbnb, you know? So that's another thing uh, I haven't really changed. I'm still very frugal. I do see the growth and I have to stop and look at it. Um, but I definitely feel like now more than anything, my daughter just turned 18. My son is 16. Now I'm feeling like the best reaps because um, the, the, I'm feeling, sorry, the benefits of all the hard work by seeing the lifestyle that they have and the things that they don't have to do. Like my daughter, she's 18 years old. I was able to put her on my credit card. So literally 15 days after she turned 18, she has a credit score of 767, was able to go get her own personal credit card unsecured, no co-signer at 4,000. She has a car. She's being able to graduate college debt-free. I, I, her college is paid for. And she's looking for an investment property, right? And even though like, I didn't have to have a, a tons of money to give this to her, all I had to do was invest in real estate. So I didn't have to learn a new skill, go to college or anything like that. It's really, um, so now that my kids are becoming adults and they don't have that underdog, right? They don't have to build credit from the beginning. They don't have to go with $50,000 in uh, college debt. Uh, she doesn't have to catch the bus and stuff like that. That now I'm feeling the benefits, right? And also I started young with my kids. So when my son is in college, I'll be 37. So that's when I'm gonna reap the benefits. Like I'm gonna rent a yacht, right? You guys are gonna <laughs> see that crazy Detroit lady. She's out, uh, her, she rented a private jet so her and her dog can fly, right? I'll be more frugal and I feel like enjoy the fruits of my labor, fruits of my labor, but my, I'm still buckling down into my son. He's so close to college a year and a half. Um, so I still haven't really splurged much, but I yeah. do look and, and, and see the growth for sure. <laughs> Great answer. And I also think it's a great question, right? Because uh, it's, it's, yeah. you broke the the chain of living paycheck to paycheck, like in your family. And it, because mm -hmm. of you, it, it may never go back to that, which is back amazing. So, so I, uh oh, he's got, something. we just said, we just, you can go, I know where you're going to go. So I'll let you do it. But I just want to say, <laughs> we always talk about building generational wealth and that is thrown around so loosely. You literally did that. $2 in change per hour is blow, it's still blowing my mind. I, I just, yeah, that that that's where you were. Your time was valued at one point in your life, and now you bump that up. It's twenty thousand a month, and I just think it's incredible. You've not only paved the path for you, 
but your kids, you're now you think about your daughter. You just talked about, she, she mm-hmm. has her, she has a credit card, a line of, a line of credit if she needs it. Right. She has a car, mm-hmm. but now at 18 years old, she's looking at an investment property. She's, mm-hmm. she's set up. She's, I mean, for, yeah. and obviously she has you to fall back on if she ever needs more <laughs> advice, but you're, it's not the, it's more so the educational wealth too, that you've given them. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, they don't get anything free. <laughs> Execute. Yeah. I yeah, love they it. don't get anything free. They have to work for so I, I do help them, but more educational. But they have businesses. Like my daughter, she does all my digital marketing, my digital flyers. So she's paid salary to support it. Um, and she could buy a house the traditional route, but she's gonna use the reverse flip strategy because I want her to have that hundred. So stay tuned. I'll document it for sure on my Instagram. But, you know, it's it's like fun because I read about this stuff, but to actually see it in life, and you're absolutely right, uh, that's just something that, you know, that's going to be beneficial than anything because anybody can change their life, right? But to change their, their family's life or their children's life or to change others' life, that's where this takes a special person to, and that's where, to me, the most gratitude comes from, right, when totally. you can help others. Totally. Yeah. And I think there's a saying that like, if you, and you've already, you've learned this, it's ingrained in you to live off of, to, to not to avoid lifestyle creep. Right. So you can live off 40 mm-hmm. grand, figure out a way to make 80 grand, live off, stay living off 40 grand, figure it's out a way to make 160, live off 40, figure out a way to make 240, whatever. So you've already ingrained in that. And now Ashley, now it gets fun for you. And the reason is, is yeah. because when you compound $2 million in equity, you're going to be, a te- you're going to be at 10 million a lot sooner than when you got from, you know, t- 20,000 to 2 million. It just gets faster and faster and faster. So that private jet is calling your name. Uh, you may own one one day. I mean, you, you might, so uh, if you want one, but you might, you, I don't know, you may not even go that route, but so um, awesome stuff. I think we made it to the core four, which is we've got to know you a little bit more personally, but these are some questions, maybe figure out what makes you tick. Um, and, and um, Rye can start off the first one. Sure. Yeah. We'll start you off easy. But I know you've, done, you've had to done a lot of research over your years um, as an investor. <laughs> so looking for a book, whether it's a business book, a real estate book, but just one that has truly changed the game for you and that you think someone up and coming can read and it, it might change their life and impact them in a positive way. Yeah, now I hate, uh, just to be brutally honest, I haven't read a ton of books, right? Um, and I know it's weird, but I'm just a go-doer. So obviously Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that really it just validated my thoughts, right? I didn't know that what I was thinking was right. And I, you know, I was like, I, sh- I, I don't know. I just made me feel really smart hearing that some that other people were doing it. Um, that's a good one. But there's another book that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, it's called Don't Be Subtle. Ooh, I, I have to figure out this guy's name, but he has a really deep voice, but that's another really good book. Um, and I, I, like I said, I haven't read too many books, so those will be great recommendations. I have a ton that I'm going to start, but for sure, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, is number one, um, you know, and don't be too cool. subtle. <laughs> Great. So this one's a little bit more like just learning about you and like what you would do. Well, I'll just ask it. What am I doing? So <laughs> um, if you had an extra $50,000, let's just say somebody hand you 50 grand. That's a lot less to you today than it was to you 10 years ago. I realized that, but like we're looking for maybe a pie chart type of thing. If somebody gave you 50 grand, you don't have to pay taxes on it. What would you do? with that money today? I would try to do a reverse flip. So I would try to uh, purchase the property um, for less from a wholesaler because I need to do the renovation and use that to make a hundred thousand dollars. 
and keep the property for the cash flow for sure. <laughs> like, well, it's like, I, you know what, you know, almost. And that's like the best part about your story is like, you said this to you said this yourself. You're like, yeah, you could get into multifamily and maybe you will one day, but you know what, you know, and you're better than most people at doing that. So why not continue it? The money is in the niches. So if anybody tells you that you can't buy single family homes in Detroit, I mean, read the shirt, people. Come on. Yeah, so. Welcome to Detroit City. I've been waiting for yes. so Oh, my gosh. I, I love, love that song. That. Sorry, she hates me now. Um, <laughs> and it's so crazy because the movie 8 Mile with Eminem, like, that's a real street. And I have 14 properties on 8 Mile. Like, not, oh, wow. it's like one block on it. So even, I actually, one of my, the, pro- the neighborhood that I own the most properties in is where Eminem, like, uh, was right oh, where wow. he grew up at That's or really went cool. to school at right off of eight mile. Yeah. I own, I think 14 in that one zip code. And that's another thing kind of, I feel like it's an apartment because I can get to 14 properties in five minutes if I have to. Um, and just to just say, because I do get flack sometime, uh, because a lot of people want to figure out why they can't. Right. So a lot of people may say, and most people don't because we're smarter investors and we really want to learn, but you do get those hack uh, haters that say, well, she's in Detroit. I'm in California. I can't do it here, right? Or, okay, I've helped over 20 people invest in Detroit that's out of the country. Some people never even been to the United States, right? But I literally, um, and I'm not going to say Detroit is better than anybody, any place. There's, it just depends on what you want. But I analyze, I have students in all markets, right? I'm heavily looking at the uh, Atlanta, Georgia market right now, looking cool. at deals, but I look at Ohio and all that stuff. But there's still great deals to be done all over. It's not just Detroit. Uh, obviously, if you really look for cash flow and want to retire early, then definitely consider it. But you still want to have boots on the ground, whatever market you decide. But if you are in an expensive market, you don't have to be, right? There's no rules that say you can't go to a cheaper market. Maybe even 45 minutes away from you are, that could be cheaper. So you could definitely get it done, guys. We're not going to use excuses. We're going to do it. <laughs> totally. And here's the thing. We we just crossed over this threshold in our mind too, because we actually invest, we live in Philadelphia. We actually invest in New Jersey. So we do do out-of-state investing and our properties are about an hour away from where we live. And it's like, we're not going there. So we, it's, it's not long distance, but it would be the same exact same thing as us purchasing property in North Carolina or Missouri or Detroit. So it's like, once you get over that mindset shift, we did it without even knowing. And now we know we're like, Oh, we actually invest out of state. So I'm not afraid to invest wherever our next venture takes us. And we're talking about, you know, short-term rentals next. So, um, Oh, I got two. I got two that I'm working on now. Uh, I can't wait. So they're going to be amazing. And, uh, yeah, so I think that's going to be a good I actually want to touch on that really quick, but I also will say it's it just to the out of state conversation. It's where your team's at, right? It's where you build the strongest team Mm -hmm. and where you can rely on people. And I think people hearing this episode, it'd be a no brainer to invest in Detroit. Having some, if they were partnered up with someone like you, whose boots on the ground knows it inside and out and didn't have the fear, right? You just crushed right through it and have figured it out. Right. And then you have your own niche as Corey said, the money's in the niches. And it's like, you found the, the way to generate a lot of wealth and you know how to find the properties, what to do with them when you have them and how to finance them. I think it's incredible. Full package. I just hope people are listening to the show because we've had so many different investors on and it's like, we're, we're like screaming at people. Like there are so many ways to make money. And if you just, if you just keep at it and you just, you just keep moving the the ball down the field, like you're going to figure out what works for you. You're going to figure out your niche and then you're going to be able to teach people about it once you've done it enough. So like, 
You got to try stuff. That's the thing. People are too afraid to try it. And then it, it sucks. If you, I will say it's hard in real estate. If you try something and it just doesn't work right away and you're yeah. like, ah, damn, like, yeah. okay, I might, maybe I'll try Bitcoin. Maybe I'll try something else, you know, like, mm-hmm. but for us, we've learned like, Hey, even though we didn't love this aspect of it, we keep, we keep plugging along, you pivot and you find something else that you like to do. And then I think that's where you, that snowball effects hits. And then you, the reverse mortgage strategy with you. You're like, that's, that's my go-to. Like I'm going for it every time, but real quick, Absolutely. I know we have a couple more questions. Let's just talk really briefly on these Airbnbs. Cause that's kind of our thing right now that we're like mm-hmm. short-term rentals. Are you doing this, these in Detroit and not a vacation market or what's give us like the quick two second spiel on where they are and like, why you think that you'll get a, a nice amount of cash flow for them? Yeah, they're actually in the heart of Detroit. One is right outside of Detroit. That's the house that I live in now. But the one is right in the middle of Detroit, which two blocks over would be considered a bad neighborhood. But uh, just learning from people that's doing this, they're in really bad neighborhoods because Airbnb doesn't show the address. So I've talked to about 10 people that are investing in really bad neighborhoods, make the house look nice, and are making uh, seven to 10000 a month. Me personally, I believe in my word, my name, right? Relationships over money. So my neighborhoods are better, more safer, um, and the profits will be larger, right? So I'm looking, yeah, I, I'm looking at about 10000 a month, and that's about 240 a night. But uh, just talking, I have clients that come here that buy properties here from out of state and they always will rent an Airbnb and hearing their experiences. Like, I just want to one-up them, make sure it's a nicer neighborhood. But yeah, it's literally in the city of Detroit. Super. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting <laughs> to hear tactics, right? We have people that are in Philadelphia that are doing it now just so they can rent them out for the Eagles games because Phillies die right. on sports and they, they make mm-hmm. a well, great amount of cash. Philly gets a similar, it's funny, like media nationwide, sim- people that yeah. aren't from Philly, they get a similar rap to Detroit. And like, I love Philly. Mm-hmm. I, I like, yeah. and I, I would, I would ride or die for the city. Like I, I love it for here. Sure. And I was thinking about that. Cause I have a property in like the Northwest section of Philadelphia where people would want to visit. Like after I purchased this property that I live in now uh, originally as a house hack. And then now I'm thinking like when I move out, I'll rent it out long-term, but like I could probably use, do this short-term too and make more money. So there's just like, there's so many real estate has provided so many different avenues. So versatile, Yeah. So versatile for sure. Yeah, definitely. That's why I love it. And just speaking like what you said, like you can do it first. Once you find your niche that you can teach it. I definitely do offer, you know, coaching and stuff. And that's what I would say. So for sure. Like I know in the beginning, uh, you can be scared, you can be fearful, but there's really no excuse today on not getting started because you have access, like just for me, like off Instagram, you guys found me on Instagram. So you have access to people that are actually doing it, that's showcasing you, showing you that they're doing it. Those are the people you need to slide in their DMs, participate if they're doing a free webinar or $100 webinar. And because we have so much access to powerful people that we did not have before. So it's truly no excuse now, right? Um, but Very I true. do offer, I don't know if you guys want to talk about that, but I do offer uh, a couple of, uh, I offer training. I do like one-on-one basis, but the big bang for your buck is these workshops that I do. So I actually have one coming up with the heart money lender and reverse flip strategy, where I show you guys everything you need to know to master these heart money deals. And they're 197. It's a three hour workshop, $197. But once this episode come out, I am doing a special, this will probably be my only product that's specific to Detroit. I am doing a workshop. It's like a whole kit. It's called the keys to Detroit. So it's basically going to be able to get anybody who wants to invest in Detroit, all the resources like contractors, lenders, property managers, agents, the city. So, you know, like when the property taxes are due, when, you know, 
we have snow here, right? Some people aren't familiar with snow. So what do you do, right? So I am going to do that in the beginning of February. And then obviously, um, so that'd be like just, just Detroit specific, but all of my other trainings, I have clients all over the world, uh, Canada, I, even out of country, right? Uh, but I teach um, these website uh, wor workshops or masterclasses on various topics. So definitely, uh, I try to be affordable. All of my workshops are under 200 bucks. Um, and as you see, I'm really doing it, right? I'm not a person that say like, say I'm doing this, I'm actually out here doing it. I literally close on a property this week. I'm still buying, right? So yep. that's definitely why I feel like I'm valuable because I don't look at it as a number. I really want you guys to learn and do it because it's possible for sure. Absolutely. For 200 bucks, it's an, it's a no brainer. I, I will say we usually plug this at the end of the show, but while we're on the topic, where can people find you if they are looking to participate or network? Absolutely. So the best uh, and easiest way to find me is Instagram, Detroit underscore investor. Uh, I do have a website. It's Ashley Hamilton Consults. So it's just my name uh, and consults what I do. But Detroit Investor on Instagram is always the best place to find me. Perfect. And I answer sure DMs. To, <laughs> uh, yeah, slide into the DMs. I'll definitely make sure to, to rebring that up at the end of the show. But we have two more on the core four. Don't want to skip over those. Okay. So number yeah. three is what's been the biggest mistake that you've made in your investing journey and career that you've learned from and how have you learned from it? Just so that way, if you could go back in time, you wouldn't make the same mistake again. Absolutely. So the biggest mistake, honestly, was not educating myself uh, um, in the beginning on creative financing because I could have bought, I would have had 50 properties by now, right? I could have bought more. So that was just the number one thing. Um, something I learned early on, like after my third property was don't skim on the, the repairs. Um, you know, yeah. it's just going to cost you so much headache and trials and tribulations down the line. Just if you have an empty property, just try to fix it right the first time. I used to buy like used windows, use furnace, use hot water tank, and it would save me three or four months later, I have to replace it. So those were just big things that I learned early on, um, you know, that I regret not yet in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a direct correlation to how much time you will spend as your, what will your property be a money pit or not? And that is like right. what I've realized. I talked about this on another episode, like the first property I ever bought, I put $0 into it. Uh, and it wasn't because I was like trying to be cheap. It's because I didn't know any different and no. I just didn't yeah. do it. And then I spent 10 grand in what my first year made no cash flow, just because I was right. like, Oh, all this stuff needed to be replaced. And now it's in a much better position. So I love that yeah. point there. Um, great. Fourth Thank question, you. the core four. We talked about this a little bit already in the show, but uh, with your with your children and everything. But so, what do you want your legacy to be, Ashley? Like, why do you get up every day? This is not easy. Like what you do, it, it, you make it sound easy, but it's not. <laughs> what What do you want your legacy to be? What gets you out of bed every day, and um, why do you keep doing what you're doing? Absolutely. So, ideally, I would love for my legacy to span at least ten years, something like the Rockefellers, which is a hundred years, right, or so, but. That's definitely what, why I do it every day. I just want to bring kids and offspring uh, into a world that didn't come, that didn't look like mine, right? Um, but now, now, like that was why I started, you know, my kids and the generations after that uh, to, I just want uh, Ashley Hamilton Boulevard, that's all, or the Ashley cool. Hamilton uh, building for cancer, right? That I can sponsor. So definitely, Philip, I don't want to mess the word up, but philanthropic. Right. Absolutely. Uh, definitely to give back. Right. So I definitely want to give back and not have so many nonprofit ideas and stuff like that. So that's what I'm doing now. But honestly, uh, after my podcast, I started doing these podcasts, just the the 
sometimes people send me prayers every single morning. Uh, people send me messages saying how they know it's possible just because they see me. So I feel like that's what's getting me up every day to continue just so that I can hopefully lay a path and let people know that this is possible. I'm doing it and I didn't have a leg up or a head start so you can do it too. So now it's transitioning more to like being able to give back and also show people that it's possible. But for sure, the reason I started was just to have 10 generations of people that are successful um, and able to benefit off of my hard work now. That's incredible. No doubt. You're going to get a lot more messages after this. <laughs> I can guarantee sure. it. Yeah, they, our guests, <laughs> our uh, audience always reaches out to the to guests that we have on the show. So um, that's incredible. Thanks for doing what you do. It's amazing. Um, we made it to the last segment of the show. It's the last drop. And the, to cap the show, the last question I have for you is knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and give 18 to 20 year old Ashley? I know you figured it out pretty, pretty quick, but if you could go back and just say, Hey, this is what I know now. Don't make this mistake or, or here's how you'd pivot. What would you, what would you tell younger Ashley? Yeah, I would definitely tell, um, you know, younger Ashley, just that it's possible. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but that is possible. Don't give up right? Make those sacrifices now. I'd rather sacrifice at a younger age uh, than be open, be able to live freely when I get older. But um, definitely just don't take no for an answer, right? Uh, because early on, I was discouraged a lot. That's why I didn't grow because I was getting the doors shut in my face from banks, credit. Oh, it doesn't qualify. Detroit's too risky or your credit isn't. So just don't take no for an answer. Just keep you know, keep at it, right? Don't give up for sure. Um, but that's definitely what I would tell myself at a younger age. Wow. Love it. I have, a, I have a quote, um, for all the doors that close, remember all the doors that closed on you go back and buy the building. So how about <laughs> Absolutely. that? Absolutely. I want right. to use that one. There, there you go on eight mile. Um, right. <laughs> love it. I love it. So thank you so much for coming on. I, I mean, we've had your 92nd episode. I'm not, wow. I love, I love I, honestly, every single one of our shows I, I really enjoy, but from an inspiration standpoint, this is really high at the top of the list. And I know you probably get that a lot. So I maybe sound like a broken record, but it's true. So thank you for doing what you're doing. And um, if you already mentioned this a little bit, but if people want to learn more about you, they want to network, maybe they want to do, uh, do some training courses. How can they find you? Absolutely. And that's what it's all about. I'm definitely here to help. You can always DM me as well. I do try to answer those as quick as possible, but the best and easiest way is Instagram. Detroit underscore investor. Um, and then also my website, which is my name, Ashley Hamilton consults.com. And there you would find all of my trainings. I'm actually beefing it up now to be doing two a month. So literally, no matter when you hear this, I'll probably be doing a training uh, on various topics. Cause I, as I learn more, right. As an investor, um, and as I hit the second um, phase or the second level, my second step, I'm learning more. And that's a trial and tribulation I have to go through or a problem I have to solve. So I'm retaining all that information so I can bring it back to you guys. Right. So now I'm trying to save on taxes. Right. Before I was using my tax return, I was getting a refund. Now I'm paying $50,000. So it's like, no way. I have to stop that. So that's yeah. the level I'm on now. Saving on taxes, um, paying your kids so you can save on taxes. So for sure, you can always find, I'll be always teaching um, on my platform. Love it. Absolutely incredible. Thanks again. I mean, I said it five, probably five, 10 times throughout <laughs> the episode, how motivated I was and just how inspirational you are. So excited to share your story with everyone. And uh, it was a pleasure, an absolute pleasure getting to know you. Thank you so much for coming on. 
You're more than welcome, guys. And thank you so much for having me again. I see what you guys are doing. I love it. And I love the fact that you're you're actively, you know, investing as well. So keep it up. I hope to do a, a reunion show after the next yeah. 92 episodes, right? And let's yeah. see where we're at and uh, crush it again, you know. But I appreciate it. You guys made me feel so comfortable. Uh, really, truly a great uh, atmosphere. Um, you guys did amazing. So thanks for that. Love thank to you hear very it. much. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you enjoyed the show and like what you heard, please subscribe, share with friends, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. The more ratings we get, the more eyes we'll get on our show, and in turn, we'll be able to provide you all with high-quality guests. It's simple. Open your podcast app, type in our podcast name, The Weekly Juice, click on reviews, and let us know what you think. Thanks so much, and see you next week. 